Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks so much for stopping by and checking this out today. Got another great episode here for you today. Now, if you are at all interested in paper, and you should be, if you are getting into print or packaging, you gotta know your papers. Then you're gonna really dig this episode if you're into those papers, and you should be, of course. But before I introduce today's guest, I gotta say it if you missed the announcement on our Instagram from yesterday or a couple days ago or three days ago, whatever it was, at some point in the recent past, we announced for the first time publicly that coming up on February 17th to 20th, we will be hosting the first ever Print Design Summit. We are gathering a group of incredible, experienced, experts in print and packaging design, all coming together to teach you how to create award-winning print and packaging easier, with less stress, faster, giving you more confidence in creating that stuff. If you are a graphic designer and you're interested in printer packaging, you're curious about it, or you're already out there making print and packaging and you want to level up, then this event is for you. And did I say that it was free? I don't think I did. Go to printdesignsummit.com right now and you can sign up for that wait list for that front of the line. Find all the information and the details on that event as it goes, uh, or no, all comes together. And on top of that, every Friday on our Instagram, that's printdesign underscore academy on Instagram, we will be going Instagram live and basically documenting the building of this summit. As we're adding sponsors, as we're adding speakers, we're going to be announcing it there, telling you the things that we failed at that last week while building this summit, the things that succeeded, the things that we crossed off our to-do list, all that kind of stuff. I wanted to sort of just highlight and talk about the summit as we're building it. I thought it'd be kind of cool for you to see it. And it's cool to document it for me to look back and, you know, <laughs> see how good it was or where we made mistakes and all that kind of jazz. Um, so don't miss out. If you are interested in learning print or packaging design, and my gosh, if you're here listening, you should be. Head over to printdesignsummit.com and check it out. And go, uh, you know, like us or follow us on Instagram, printdesign underscore academy. Don't miss those live updates because I'll be asking for feedback. I'll be asking for ideas, all that good stuff. So today on the show, we've got Julie Brannon. She's the Director of Sustainability with Monadnock Paper. Now, I was personally introduced to Monadnock Paper, I want to say about seven or eight years ago, and it was all about sustainability. That, like just recycled stocks, really high-end uncoated papers. There are another one of the brilliant mills out there creating these great paper products that you as the creative and designer will take and put together into this amazing printed piece that goes out to the world. We, during this episode, we also talk about her transition into the print industry, how she was working and participating in a little bit of some Gatorade marketing printed collateral back in the day, and just a whole bunch of cool stories from a wild career that has landed her at Mananok in this Director of Sustainability role. So ladies and gentlemen, let's kick it over to that. My guest, Ms. Julie Brennan. Hit the intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. 
we go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Julie, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you today? I'm quite well. How are you? Fantastic. So you're out in Boston, yeah? Yes, I am today. And are you, like, it's real hot there today? You're, you're going through a little heat wave? We are. Today's actually a little bit better than what it has been the last couple of weeks. Good, good. A little bit cooler. So we've got the air conditioning in there. You're not going to start sweating profusely during the interview, so we're all good. Hopefully not, yes. <laughs> nice it actually feels very good today because I've been in Dallas for the last two days on a business trip and anything compared to 105 degrees is good. feels good. Today. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do the, the actual Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion, but we're hitting 36 Celsius today. Wow. We're in a little heat wave, too. So I think that's like 105 to 106 or 7 or something like that. Um, totally guessing. It's hot. Let's just say that. Um, awesome. So I wanted to connect with you to chat about the print, obviously, and paper, all that stuff. But I thought we would start it off with just the easiest or the toughest question on here, which is the tell us about yourself. Well, my name is Julie Brandon, and I currently hold a role with the Nadnock uh, Fine Packaging and Paper solutions role. It's uh, my title technically is Director of Sustainable Solutions for Fine Packaging and Paper Substrates. I wear, however, I wear several roles here. Um, I mm-hmm. have a sales role and I have a liaison with product development role for um, scoping the market, if you will, to see what unique and unusual specialty solutions are missing that consumers are either demanding or could really find useful. Um, and when I do, bring that back work with my R&D teammates and we always are tasked with the challenge of bringing something to the market that doesn't exist today or in a form in which is complete to people. So unique and unusual solutions. Got it. Man, you've been rehearsing that one. <laughs> um, so you and I, from what I hear, have sort of fairly non-traditional um, entrances should you say to this print and paper industry um me personally i came from an auto mechanic background and that was my original career direction um and through a number of different circumstances i ended up getting introduced to a local print shop owner from my girlfriend or my ex-girlfriend's dad who kind of felt bad for me that his daughter dumped me so it was sort of an, an interesting entrance into print and I still remember that first day of walking in there, the sights, the smells, the sounds. Um, and up to that point, I had no idea about print. Like, I just wasn't paying attention to it. I had magazines and all kinds of stuff, but just didn't put two and two together. And, yeah, and from what I hear, you had sort of a non-traditional entrance into that as well. Is that right? Uh, kind of, Yes. Actually, my first experience with print, I was always an artist growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say artist, I mean more of the fine artist front, murals, airbrushing, multimedia, and as an illustrator. Graphic, now I'm going to date myself, but graphic design was 
a concept beginning to come to fruition in the 80s, if you will. Um, I had several advanced placement art classes. It was always the intention I was going to go to an art school. Um, and then in one of my AP art classes, I, we had a segment called printmaking, subscreen printing and printmaking. And me being the colorful illustrator artist that I was, always thought that it was great to do, draw or design these pieces that had vibrant colors. Yeah. You know, and make it as jump off the page as you can. Well, the thing I didn't know was anything about silkscreen printing. And back then, you were hand cutting those amber lifts. So I, of course, on par, made an eight color print um, in my design. And then I had to cut out eight different layers of <laughs> amber lift and make them all match up together and do silkscreen printing the old fashioned way with the squeegee by hand. Yeah. So I quickly learned how complex print can be. But um, out of all modules in my AP art class, and you had to complete different modules you know, for the college credit on them. I did the best, enjoyed the printing aspect, surprisingly, not just the illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had the background. I was going to, I received a few art scholarships to art colleges. Nice, and my you. parents begged me to not be a starving artist and to please, for <laughs> God's sake, get a liberal arts education. So I did, um, and in my degree pursuit, and I wanted to do something that was going to be artistic still, but also not the risk of being a starving artist and have a business element to it. Mm-hmm. So my focus of degree was international marketing. But I think what you're referring to is while I was in college and graduate school, I uh, was recruited to be a police officer and a deputy sheriff. So I spent three years as a deputy sheriff um, when I went to college and almost two years on the city police side. And is uh, as that became to hectic to juggle both of those schedules in graduate school. I stopped being a police officer and went uh, uh, full-time into my MBA. So full-time into the schooling there. And at what point did, did you sort of find yourself falling in love with print? Was there a specific mm-hmm. moment where you yeah. were like, print, this is it? Well, I don't know about a specific moment, but I started doing freelance art for cities and towns and murals and all sorts of uh, things. And and then, of course, you had to get those pieces printed. In not every case, but in many cases, what I was designing, corporate design, had to be printed somewhere. So I I had a couple of printers Mm -hmm. in the Miami area that I chose to work with that did a good job. These are back in the days before computer to plate. So it was um, very taxing when you had to a font that didn't come through correctly in a print build file, or you did something incorrect in Photoshop that didn't translate to an EFI rip. Mm-hmm. So um, I started developing somewhat of an expertise in print file preparation way back when. And when I was doing page layout and design, we were talking way back in the beginning of the, the cork court version for and page maker <laughs> and illustrator. So yeah. the printers that I was sending, the two or three that I chose to partner with, um, noticed the amount of work that I was gaining and bringing in and they asked me to do sales for them. And I oh. said, um, there's nothing about me with a salesperson. <laughs> back then, I looked at sales like, you know, vacuum cleaner people coming to your front door and ringing the doorbell. Yeah. And they quickly taught me that, um, I was doing sales every day in a consultative type of way. 
Yep. The printers were working with service bureaus back then. These mistakes that designers and agencies would uh, come with in their files were very costly. Anytime something wasn't, a file wasn't prepared properly. So they asked me to be a liaison between their design firms and agencies and help them from a consultative angle of how to build print, how to build files for a press sheet um, for economic purposes while still maintaining the vibrancy or the captive audience of the graphics. So that is how I got into print. Got it. So you ended up basically landing in a sales role that you didn't think you fit, but you really did because most of the, or a big portion of a salesperson's job in print is really that coaching and guiding and helping designers who have a file or an idea and bring, helping them bring that to life through your expertise in print. I did, and I've, but to be quite honest, I was in my early 20s and I liked excitement, which is part of why I was a police officer. I was a bit of a adrenaline junkie. And <laughs> I got a little bored with the just print or just working with designers on a, on a tactical front. Yeah. I wanted to be able to put to use my strategic skills or, or market analysis and economic mm -hmm. skills. So I took um, I switched to the agency side for a three-year period of time where I was doing the entire scope the print, the uh, media buying, the marketing analysis, the acquisition of retainer accounts. And um, I did that for a few years. And in that is when I realized that it really was the print piece that I liked the most, you know, from the whole scale. Yeah. So I went back to print and I didn't leave print for 28 years overall that I've been in the business. So I didn't leave print again until 2008 when I came to the paper and packaging side mm -hmm. which I mean arguably still is you're still involved with print you just sort oh, of yes, moved, up the, so. moved up the process I guess you could say yes very much so I mean print is very much about substrates um, that you're printing on and back then substrates mm -hmm. played a much more critical role than they do today mm -hmm. there weren't UV inks we were just coming around with hybrids and co-cures and substrates played an incredibly important role in how nice or how well the print came out. So yeah. the choice of substrate was incredibly important. Um, FSC, where Stewardship Council was just coming around at that time, this is 2005, 2006, and I spent some time doing FSC auditing. As an FSC auditor, I believed in the environmental aspect of print. Mm -hmm. um, most of the, once again, I moved into a consulting role quickly because all the designers and ad agencies that were the primary bulk of my clientele, as well as the brands they serviced, no one knew what FSC was or SFI mm -hmm. or what does all this green mean. So I was also working in Vermont at that time. So very, very cutting edge state for environmental consciousness. The yep. printer I was working for was actually third in the country to become FSC certified. Wow. So I, that's how it all paralleled together and I became a consultant, not just for design and print planning and packaging, but for integrating the environmental or sustainable footprint into it from the get-go. I printed on a lot of 100% post-consumer recycled stocks Mm -hmm. A lot of my brands and customers were in demand for that. Mm -hmm. uh, we were a craftsman printer, specialty printer, so they expected me to take uncoated paper, which is the only one that 100% recycled was available in at the time, yeah. and make those product catalogs look like they were printed on coated paper without mm -hmm. the assistance of UV. 
I know, by the way, we'd like to have the 100% recycled products here. So it was an interesting journey that I fell into in the very beginning at the request of the consumer brand. It's interesting you say about the um, uncoated and 100% recycled, you know, versus coated and, you know, small amount recycled. Um, do you remember a paper that existed for a very short period of time called Save a Tree? I never heard Save a Tree, but unbeknownst to what you may have heard market-wise, I mean, what I did start printing on in that time was the only coated 100% was consumer recycled sheet that was available in the world. So I started at that emphasis level. Yep. Um, certainly I'm familiar with coated products that have been around for years for 10% or 30%, but mm -hmm. quite honestly, since 2007, I've been focusing on uh, maximizing print and packaging on 100% post-consumer recycled coated products and yep. developing those for the market. So are there products like that out in the market right now? Because I'm you know, involved in the industry and I haven't heard of any, but I would love to know about them. Oh yes. So when I left the print side, I took a position um, with a company that was first to bring a coated 100% recycled sheet to market. And I, uh, uh, there was one in Europe. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure where you're located, but Arjo Wiggins in Europe had a sheet called Cocoon, um, okay. France and the UK. So eventually I, uh, I took on a task for Arch and Wiggins of building their North American market and bringing that sheet into the United States. And then when I joined Manadma, that was a key factor. Arjo exited, they were purchased in a different direction, consolidated their business units. And that was a very large mill that had been around since 1492. So mm -hmm. it was an interesting thing. There was a giant gap left in the market. And I came to Manadnock and part of my liaison role of product development was to create that sheet. So we have that coded 100% post-consumer recycled sheet in text and cover and in packaging boards, uncoded and coded here at Manadnock paper. That is fantastic to hear. Um, before I dive into sort of Manadnock and your role with the company and the sustainability and a little bit more about that coded recycled sheet, because I want to get into that. Um, I want to kick this back in time a little bit more and ask you what your earliest memory of printer packaging is. Something from your childhood, from your teens. Do you have any early memories of printer packaging? Yes. Um, it's also the same thing. I mean, I saw it on the, the media and TV side as well as I saw it in the print campaigns. So the first one that comes to my mind was the old the Gatorade marketing commercial from years back when everyone was... Um, and the printed collateral, of course, matched what you saw in the TV commercials, but I found it very captivating that the world was black and white, and the only thing that was in color was the drink that came out. <laughs> so it was uh, interesting how print and spot UVs in particular, uh, spot varnishes actually back then, yep. could really make a piece come alive. So it was the Gatorade piece primarily. Gatorade print advertising. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, and then what about recently? Have you come across anything recently that you were you know, really surprised by or you had a great um, interaction with or you really enjoyed in print? Um, there's been many, honestly, with me working in the, the specialty brands, you know, the, the customers like the Burton's, for anything from the Burton Snowboards to the Tiffany's end to the Google end, there's really been many. But there is mm -hmm. one fun project that stood out in my mind and it was, in a way, the best project and also, in another way, the most challenging for the, you know, got derailed a few times in the process before we mm -hmm. figured our 
or found their way through that maze. Um, for the sake of not naming the brand, I'll say it's a shoe brand, a okay. little shoe brand, and they wanted to produce a piece that appealed to their demographic, which they had determined was young males, um, the X Games type of clientele, um, skateboarder audience, okay. if you will, okay. extreme games and state skateboarding audience. And they designed a book. It was complete with illustrations and photographs. And they wanted me to take that book. It was an interactive piece, so it was a great piece. The cover they wanted silkscreen printed so mm -hmm. that it was raised ink. And it was a beautiful illustration of some famous skateboarding stars, I guess. I'm not coming into the skateboarding scene. Mm -hmm. But they uh, left the faces blank on purpose because they wanted the artists to be able, to, the individual artists the books went out to, to be able to color in their own face. You okay. know, on the, they have the hair. And, the, and then when you open the piece, it was a, for those in print listening to this will understand the challenge. This was a Smythe sewn book. Okay. It was produced all on uncoated paper and every sheet of the book was produced on a different kind of paper. Wow. A different color of paper. Okay. So it required moving in twos, it required colors, multiple different colored paper products, by the way, <laughs> with photos of skateboarders throughout the book. Um, they needed proofing that would show them identically what that photograph would come out on with the pink paper behind it or the blue raspberry or the, the bubble gum. So it was a whipped cream, very, very challenging piece. So, but it was highly interactive and that's probably the, mo the most difficult print project I've ever worked through in my career, but it came out outstanding. That's great. And what's great about when you're creating things like that is once you put it out in the world, seeing people react to it who don't even understand the technical abilities and knowledge that it took to actually make this thing, really, really appreciating it and enjoying it, that is so rewarding. It is. Yes, once you finally get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> once you finally get there, exactly. Yes. Um, Julie, what do you think makes print so special to designers? Because whether they're a logo designer or a brand designer or have never done print in their life before, they have some sort of um, you know, healthy hoarding stash of print packaging, some things that they've come across, um, or even packaging from products that they bought, that they just hang on to because they love it. Why is that? I think that it's a neuroscience like a neuroscience of touch or a neuroscience of sight and how you can interact all five, well, not the taste, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but the smell is oftentimes activated. I've done many projects for brands over the years that used scented ink, customized scented ink. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no reason people would get so excited about those things if they weren't engaging all their senses. Yep. So I think I'm it's ink dancing on paper, it's the interactive experience, it's eye-catching anything that will draw you in. And yeah. The first thing that designers or folks usually do is touch it, you know. Yeah, that's a great point, you know, whether they realize what's going on in their brains when they're touching things and smelling things or not, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's important, it's special. The one idea that I've had for a long time that I haven't seen anybody do is either a fast food restaurant or a farmer's market or something, 
um, doing a bacon-scented direct mail piece. And I just have this image of like somebody going to collect their mail and opening the mailbox and getting a waft of bacon that just comes out of the mailbox. No, that's a really good one because bacon is one of those smells that typically engage people at a level that other things don't. French fries, bacon, yeah, pizza. You know, there's yep. a few out there that really engage folks. I have done coffee. Yeah. You know, McDonald's promo before I've done. Um, you know, the environmental company called Seventh Generation. Mm-hmm. They have laundry detergents that have customized aromatic uh, aromatherapy smells like lavender and chamomile and citrus yep. infused. There's been quite a bit of research behind how they came to that selection of what's good mm-hmm. people. And those are, now you're touching on the areas I've done scented ink in. Love, scent, love scented inks. And I love the more senses that you can interact with with a printed piece, the, the longer people are going to remember it, the more likely they're going to hang on to it, the more likely they're going to share it with others. Um, so that's a really cool point. I'm glad that came up in this conversation. I agree. I mean, those are the, the, these are the areas that digital, uh, in, in digital media, when I refer to digital, I mean electronic media. Yeah. Uh, there's just certain things with print. You can read books online. You can listen to audiobooks online, but there's still a desire and a craving to touch and feel something. Yep. Like you think of the resurgence recently of records, you know, people desiring records and record sleeves, and those all got to be printed. Yeah, retro. Um, mm-hmm. Totally, right? And then there's the um, the other thing that people are hanging on to outside of that is, um, uh, my brain just left me here, but with the other item that you were mentioning before you said record sleeves, or before you were talking about music, is the books. Books are outselling our digital books and ebooks by far, still, every year. Well, I mean, let's, let's be honest about it. It's good to have those no matter what demographic you're in. But mm-hmm. these days, we're, especially since the COVID pandemic, but even before, mm-hmm. we're overloaded with digital media online. Yeah. We get so many emails in our walks. We have, it's constant, you know, whether it's Pinterest, whether it's TikTok, whether it's you know, any, all of these media platforms as we have been answering instant gratification of needs with these devices in our hands. They will never, it's a nice refreshing break from things to actually have something you hold. If I'm a consumer um, and I get all the ads, I'm a woman with lots of shopping skills, so I get tons (laughs) of links and 50% off and 80%, 150% off, but I can click through those, delete them as junk, but when I go to my mailbox and I have a live touch catalog, certainly yep. I can throw it away, but I never do until I look through it first. Yep, it gets a lot more attention. And right now, due to digital fatigue is what I'm calling yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good through, way to put through it. Through the pandemic, through even pre-pandemic, just the abundance of Instagram and Facebook and tracking and all that stuff. So a couple of things led to this digital fatigue um, making direct mail one of the most sort of underutilized marketing efforts right now. Oh like yeah, people it's come are back in a big way. Uh, big time. People are desiring these tangible experiences to hold things, to smell things, to interact with printed things mm-hmm. instead of just an Instagram ad that just gets swiped past, right? You just scroll right past it. So it's an untapped, um, I don't think it's being utilized enough by enough brands, especially right now. 
Well, I mean, there's a lot of changes going on that we're seeing. I mean, obviously, what the people print on with paper or packaging substrates. Mm -hmm. um, there's the world is changing right now. The supply chain has a lot to do with it, mm -hmm. uh, but there's not a lot of substrates. That that's a challenge we're all facing right now. There's not a lot, an abundance of substrates out there currently totally. available. So we are starting to see movements in things like catalogs turning into direct mail because yep. the footprint is smaller, the, you need less paper, the environmental footprint therefore is smaller, the customization of print-on-demand and um, variable data has been uh, tremendous uh, strides in our industry. So it's yep. an entirely different tool now, direct mail, than what it used to be. Yep, everything is just evolving. Print isn't going away, it's evolving. Correct, I like and I said it. that from the get-go. For 20 years I've been hearing print's going to go away. Yeah. Even from some of the owners of the print facilities I, I worked for, and I said, print is never going away. It's simply no. going to evolve and change. Yes, 100%. Um, so I want to dive a little bit more now into your role with Monadnock and a bit about the, the mill. And I'll start by sort of giving you my brief description of what I know of, of Monadnock. And I want you to kind of take it from there, fill in the gaps, and, and please tell me more. Um, I was introduced to Monadnock probably eight years ago by our Unisource at the time rep uh, named Tracy. And um, it was basically introduced as a very environmentally friendly mill where the power comes from the river that goes past. And it's like very, very eco-friendly and a focus on environmental and sustainability and that all that direction. Um, so fine papers with a direct focus on sustainability. Do you think that was sort of an accurate description? Well, yes, but there's much more to it than that. I mean, Monadnock is a very unusual uh, paper and solutions producer. 203 mm -hmm. years old. This, wow. Is this is a privately owned paper mill. It's 203 years old. So, of course, if you have something that old, you're going to change and evolve over time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming when you use the word Tracy and Unisource, are you on the West Coast? Yes. By chance? Okay. Yeah. So in the Pacific Northwest area? Yes. Okay. So yes, actually, no, the Tracy that you're mentioning. Perfect. So yes, back then, I mean, definitely a fine texting cover. You know, that yep. produced anything from gorgeous stationery all the way up to, you know, uh, catalogs and books um, over time. The mill, of course, adapted as the industries adapted as a much smaller mill than some of the large aggregates out there. That being said, we have um, unique strengths and unique challenges. Everything that we make uh, is made with top performance material, or performance is number one. Always has been, it's what people come to the network for. Um, sustainability's been in their DNA since the beginning, but the challenge has always been, as you know, when you started with recycled products, you could have one or the other, but not necessarily both. You could have 100% mm -hmm. recycled, but not necessarily a consistent product because the pure nature of recycled is you take what has been given and you de-ink it and you repurpose it. So it may yep. not have the brightest white or the smoothest texture for ink to lay down on, but Minamax's challenge, and they've done it very, very well, has been to form an, uh, a parallel uh, allegiance between performance and sustainability. Mm -hmm. So how could we make the highest performing product with the most amount of sustainability without having either cannibalize the other? 
Yeah. So over time, Mananoc expanded. They started developing more of what I'll call technical solutions. I mentioned that we scour the market. We look for what's missing that consumers are asking for and doesn't exist anywhere. Um, in your world, we would say we make products that makes ink dance on the, I don't want to say sheet, because some of it's packaging board, some of it's gift yeah. card, some of it's uh, sterile or security products. Um, we have evolved over time and keeping the high performance and the sustainability neck and neck, it drove us into a place where we make fiber do things that fiber is not supposed to do. Um, these days, in the current market conditions, um, the other piece is we respond to the ask of our clientele. These days, we're being asked most often to replace plastic with fiber-based products. 100%. Um, but they need fiber to do what plastic does. So there again, you have a challenge, right? You need durability, but you want something that's going to recycle, biodegrade in some way. So you yeah. need it to last and you need it to perform or repel water, but you also want it to go away when it's done. You know? yeah, so 100%. that really is where we spend the most of our time. And as a result of that effort, what is yielded out of that are these interesting products for signage, for gift cards. So you have paper card replacing plastic type of credit cards. Mm -hmm. um, you have signage that would have been on styrene or polymer type of products before. Um, when the ocean, the, for the Save the Oceans came into play, the island off the Pacific, you know, th these are all things that are important to not just the consumers, but the up and coming generation that is concerned about what kind of planet they're going to have to live on in the yep. next 10 or 20 years. So we have adapted with the market. Yes, we make paper and yes, we make packaging board, but we make so many things that are far beyond that these days that are high performance solutions, materials to provide solutions to consumers and brands that did not exist or only existed in a uh, synthetic type of environment before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very, very common thing that's happening. And I've had a number of businesses approach me and ask, you know, here's our plastic tray that we currently put our product in and then put it into a box. Mm -hmm. How do I replace this plastic tray? And we end up engineering some sort of paperboard insert that goes along with that product right. to solve that problem for them. And it's, it's increasingly common replacing plastic it components is. within it boxes. Is. And, and it's got to absorb grease or it's got to you know, retain certain things, but it um, extract others. So it, it's a challenge, but we make you know, a, a tremendous amount of products. I would say that this mill probably makes, and I may be understating it, but at least 200 different types of products. And I don't mean different paper grades, from wall covering to signage to um, signage that you can't see through, signage that you can see through on purpose. <laughs> you know, to have, we call it backlit now. Sounds yeah. like you and I have been in the business a little bit. It was Duratran way back when. Okay. Um, so a tremendous array of products. But we don't just make products that make ink dance or, or draw you or lure you in, but we make products that, do th that, that are based in fiber, that do things that fiber, no one thought fiber could do mm -hmm. or accomplish. So I would love right now, if you're okay with it, to dive into a couple of, just like pick one or two specific product categories and just sort of ask you a little bit about how, how they're made and how they're brought to life. And I think there's value in that for the graphic designers listening to this to really be, a, be an idea source for their customers. When, when their customer phones them up and says, hey, we want to print 
uh, or we want to make some gift cards, can you just do up a design for a gift card? You know, rather than that designer just designing something and sending it over and then they outsourcing it somewhere and getting plastic cards made, I would love a designer to be armed with the knowledge to go into that customer and say, there's an eco-friendly paperboard solution. Here's this idea. Here's the solution. So in that sort of avenue right now, can you talk to me a little bit about how those gift cards are made? Because isn't there magnetic strips involved? Like, like how are they actually created using that board? Yes, I mean, the, I'll do the best I can with that in terms of I'm not really able to talk about the details of construction, you know, on a project mm -hmm. like this. But basically, you, you have credit cards and they yep. have pieces to them, you know, attributes, I should say. You have a magnetic strip, or you have raised details or numbers on the front of the card. Um, what does it? Why was it ever made in plastic to begin with, instead of paper? Usually because you wanted it to last. You wanted it to have some yes. snap, some rigidity, and stay around and be colorful and be another way in which you can intrigue folks. You know, there's there's gift cards, there's loyalty cards. It, you know, speaking about this product line, um, it depends on the application. But we needed to look at it and say, there's no reason paper can't do all of those aspects. Where you're going to have, where you're going to have challenges with fiber-based products. Um, fiber reacts to water, humidity, moisture, extreme moisture conditions, and plastic doesn't. It doesn't break down. Paper will break down. That's the pure nature of it. Add enough water to it and you'll break paper down. Mm -hmm. So there's different chemistries. Um, layers, you will obviously need to layer paper together if you want to get yep. it that thick and that much snap. But there's different chemistries and attributes that you can put into the paper product that helps it um, be hydrophobic, for lack of a better word. Interesting, so, okay. Uh, you know, we don't claim for our products to be waterproof. Um, it has everything to do with how long What's the application? And how yep. long do you need the product to last? So yep. if you're gifting someone, or if you have direct mail, you combine them both together. Say you're an auto insurance company or a jeweler that is sending out a direct mail piece. Or a retail brand, you know, for the customers that are on their customer loyalty program. Mm -hmm. Then there's no reason that that needs to be plastic. Yeah, it doesn't need to last 10 years like a credit card does sitting in your pocket or wallet. Correct. Correct. So there are things, obviously, that, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, right? You do need a credit card to last for quite a while, the pulling it mm -hmm. in and out of your pocket if it drops in. You know, if you're swimming in a hotel swimming pool and you forgot your room key or card and you're, and you're mm -hmm. sitting in that pool for three hours, there are things like that that continue to be you know, uh, challenges or goals that we will work towards to continue mm -hmm. to strengthen the footprint of what fiber-based products are capable of doing. So the ones <clears throat> that I've seen in paperboard recently, I believe are the Starbucks gift cards are in paperboard. Um, and they don't have a magnetic strip on the back, I believe. They actually have just a, a printed barcode that's aligned with that card. So is the correct process for producing those to order that specific thick you know board with those property with the right properties print on it like you would any offset paper and then do some variable stuff with barcodes you know i mean 
Things are changing in that market. I'm going to try to answer this in the most general way I can. There are printers that yep. are also called aggregators okay. that contain the financial data that have the ability to lay down those mag strips, the mag stripes on the product, and they are very specific. There's many in the United States. Got it. Um, it's almost the old way of how did you ever get the information behind an indicia? It's very mm. similar to that. So we obviously do not make those products. We make the base substrate and we sell yep. to the printers or aggregators. Now, if someone has a barcode readability, um, they might have more printer options at their fingertips. Got but it. if they need something specific um, in the realm you're really referring to, the products that we make will take it. It'll yep. accept the stripe. Um, but the, the compilation or construct that you're mentioning, there are specialty aggregators out there that the designers would go to, especially printers, in other words, that can that are pretty deep. And a lot of them handle credit cards, plastic credit cards, financial mm -hmm. institutions. Got it. So the other product category that I personally um, want to learn more about with Mananoc and their offerings is the pa packaging boards. Mm -hmm. um, can you share me share with me um, like the packaging board options with Mananoc and the range in particular applications? Sure. Um, as we mentioned before, one of our tasks that we're tasked with is to make the most eco-friendly or sustainable product that we can. Mm -hmm. without sacrificing the performance. We play Correct. pretty heavily, I mean, obviously these, when you're developing these unique solutions, these high-performance solutions, they have a price tag associated mm -hmm. with them. So in our world, we develop an uncoated, a coated, uncoated, coated one side and coated two side product lines. Um, the text and cover, we're finding can oftentimes the heavier weight covers interchange with what we've called the packaging board line. Mm -hmm. um, when people come to us, they want product that's full of fiber, that's dense, that doesn't have fluff and mechanical filler in it, things that, you know, it, it certainly you can construct packaging, luxury packaging set or product lines like this, um, but there's going to be a cost associated with it when people want high performance. I mean, I love, most of my, our customers come to us and say, we want a zero crack. We want it to be 100% post-consumer recycled. We want it to be coated. Um, we want it to be, have all of these footprints associated with it, but we don't want it cracking. Yeah. Now, of course, they're probably gonna put hyper-color or five layers of black on it. They want no cracking. Yeah. So, you know, for those involved in print, they're, I don't care how nicely you design a product. If, if certain parameters aren't followed on the print, die scoring, binary, and really you could make anything fail. Yep. But we do, that's what makes our packaging products different than the others. We spend long, long times in product testing. We know they're going to put it through the gamut, that it's going to contain an exorbitant amount of embellishments, whether that's foil stamps, registered embosses, um, mm. spot UVs, uh, multi-layered UVs now. Um, yeah, we melted through the UV press. <laughs> right, right. And we do want to provide a product that provides the highest performance level that can hit all of the, withstand that much ink, hit all of those metrics, and still be sourced from renewable mm -hmm. sources. So there, every product line that Manadnock makes is FSC certified, third-party yep. authenticated. Manadnock is, if, if not the only, because things change every day, right? People up there, environmental gain, if not the only, one of the only, ISO 14001 environmental certificate certified mills in the United States. 
Uh, also, we maintain a 9001 ISO quality management system at the mill. The reason I'm bringing all these attributes up is we believe in third-party authentic audits and certifications. Yep. So it's not just a marketing ploy from us. I mean, we, we walk the walk. We have things that we can improve on, as everyone does, any manufacturing facility does. <laughs> and we keep a careful read and microscope on those every year. We have goals set to, you can't do everything at once, right? We'd all love to. But each year, each time we uncover an area of improvement, it's recorded, it's set as a goal for the next year. Um, we try to hit as many elements of those as we can. But we do have packaging boards. We specialize in um, thick substrates. It's something we do very well here. Mm -hmm. um, so we do offer an uncoated, to answer your question, a coated, um, coated one, coated two sides. We play heavily in the print-on-demand, HB Indigo segment. Mm -hmm. We are recognizing that we're seeing more and more offset presses go away. And each time one of these OEMs develops a larger sheet size, it's making it more viable. Yep. and far less costly. They can do their prototyping in the on-demand world. Sometimes the larger ones then go to a larger packaging machine. Mm -hmm. But right now we're focusing on providing each step of that. Uncoated and coated substrates. We specialize more in the thicker substrates for packaging, but we go down, <coughs> you know, easily, I should say, to an 80-pound text in most of these high-performance substrates. And we go up to a... In the coated world, we go up to an 18 point for folding box. I should say. Mm -hmm. But our product is unique, it's all fiber. And there's, um, it has some attributes that we've dialed into it to be able to sustain elasticity for multi directional scoring and folding. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the print formation of the surface needs to be one that you can make ink dance and it can tape all of that moisture. Once again, paper, fiber, every ink. Every yep. process you add to it is adding yep. more moisture to the product. So that's essentially our lineup. We wanted to do something unique. People need um, luxury boards or luxury packaging products. Some of them aren't luxury brands. Some of them are holistic brands. Um, health and beauty. Yep. Think of things that and it can be something as simple as deodorant, but you're noticing now on the shelves, even if it's a commodity cosmetic, there's also an allergen-free version now a healthy version and that's, that's usually the version that the large brands decide to put in this uh, so we're trying to provide luxury high yeah. performance and the high in the uh, highest element of sustainability we can in each of our products awesome now as you, i'm sure you're aware one of the best ways for designers to share with their customers their paper recommendations what they think is to actually get their hands on them, to feel the paper, to, to mm -hmm. flick how thick that stock is. Does that deliver what I want? Is there a place that designers could go to apply to get a Monadnock swatch book or to oh, of course. You know, connect with the brand? Yes, of course. It's uh, you know our website, um, which is mm -hmm. MPM, standing for Monadnock Paper Mills. Yeah. So MonadnockPaperMills.com, that's MPM.com. Um, all of our products are on display in full view there, and there's uh, ample areas for click for samples as well as carbon footprint eco calculators. Awesome. So, and it's a very Such simple a interactive tool. tool. You know, really all you have to know is whether you're using coded or uncoded product. Um, why do we make everything 100% recycled when we can in the packaging board or paper? I think our question is why not? 
when you're making a high performance material, it doesn't cost more to use recycled product. So if we can give you the best recycled product or reused, repurposed product, um, and it looked brand new, mm -hmm. that's what we specialize in. That's awesome. Yep, so I've always heard about Mananoc, and now I know a lot more about Mananoc and the history and sustainability and all of that focus. Um, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Julia. I really appreciate your time in going through this. And the link that you just provided, I'm going to put down in the description of this podcast so people can access that and click on it right away. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. All right, that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Again, head over to printdesignsummit.com. The summit is coming up on February 17th to 20th, 2023. It sounds like it's forever away, but it's less than three months as of today. Crazy, right? Printdesignsummit.com. Sign up for that front of the line list so you are in the loop on everything we got cooking. And just a reminder, we are going Instagram live every Friday on print design underscore academy on Instagram and basically documenting live the summit, what we're building, sponsors, speakers, all those kind of details. Don't miss that. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.